Oh, we are grateful for your presence, your arrival on the scene. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, so I said that I, so what was that? I, somebody said good morning again. Yes. Well, just because you said that, I'm going to say it one more time. Good morning. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little moved. We uh, were on our way here. I was driving with Reverend Dodo, Doris, Reverend Doris. <laughs> I can call her Reverend Dodo. You have to ask permission for that one. Um, <laughs> And uh, lo and behold, the car in front of us did some freeway ballet, which included a couple of flips and a couple of spins. And we were able to stop in time to not be caught in it. And I thought, <laughs> well, of course, a minister on her way to do a sermon about belonging, and if anyone belongs here, it's you, is going to have an example of that. Now, how is that, you might ask? Well, if I'm going to be in highway ballet, in 2,000 tons of, 2,000 pounds of steel, I'm going to want two ministers in the car behind me, praying immediately about my wholeness and calling 911. So um, I just felt a little bit uh, in the right place at the right time. But also, that amazing thing happened, and I'm deeply moved whenever I see it. The first time I ever saw it was on, uh, at sunset on Highway 280 in the Bay Area where there's a lot of traffic. And a car went out of control and off onto the side. And I don't know how many cars stopped. But all I know is that in the uh, silhouettes of them, it looked like angels all rushing to this one car. Just this momentum that's almost in slow motion when you're watching it, of love surrounding an impact like that, an accident like that. And we saw it again this morning. Reverend Doris remarked to me, she goes, did you see how that was? This one man forgot himself and stopped all the traffic on Highway 1, just put his hand out. You could tell there was no question the traffic was stopping. We were going across the street to this person. We had to cross the freeway to get to them. So I'm a little stirred, and, uh, and I just want to call that into the room. That's, that's, that's there. Um, and I feel a little more exposed than normal. Having said that, I'm going to start out with, if anyone belongs here, it's you. If I heard that and I was sitting out there, I would kind of stop at that statement. There might be a part of me that says, how do you know that? How do you know whether I belong here or not? Well, I know that you belong here or not because you're here, right? Whether you fit in here or not, that I don't know. Now, fitting in is a two-way street, right? I can say you fit in or you don't fit in because you speak the same language. You speak religious science. Or maybe you speak landmark. Or maybe you speak Christianity. And we all decide at any time whether we fit in or not. But belonging here? Are you breathing? You belong here, right? 
What we spend our life journey doing, though, is agreeing with that. And what creates that disagreeing, that disagreement that we could belong anywhere, is that forming of a false self, right? Because the true self always belongs everywhere and nowhere at all if we're uh, following Brene Brown's uh, wisdom in her book, and we are. So uh, at the top of this talk, I meant to tell you that um, at this center, we have themes and topics. We have an annual theme, which is awake, alive, we thrive. And then we have a monthly uh, book that we're doing and we're arranging our topics around the book and this uh, month's book was Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness. And the final talk that I'm giving today is if anyone belong here, belongs here, it's you. So some of this material that I'll talk about today will be based on the wisdom of the book but it dovetail, dovetails perfectly with religious science. So your true self always belongs, as Brene Brown says, everywhere and nowhere at all. And finally, I'm going to invite us to retrieve it. On my Facebook page, I have uh, the, I don't know what it's called, in the back of where your head is, on the header, I have this picture, it's black and white, of this little girl, probably in the 50s, and she's soaking wet and her arms are outstretched, and her legs are outstretched, and her bathing suit is soggy. And she's thin, and she's got little knobbies in her thing, and it says, she's in there, let's go get her. Because she's just joyfully gleeful. And it's an invitation to go retrieve that wildly delighted place in us that doesn't care if our bathing suit's sagging, we're in the water, right? We don't care if we fit in. We're having a great time. Too great a time to worry about it. So retrieving that. So she says, Brene, stop walking through the world looking for confirmation that you don't belong. Stop it. You will always find it because you've made that your mission. I'm going to break here for a second. Because one of the things that she talks about, and I've heard talked about other places, is you're not broken because you're looking for that. But our evolution allows us to override that primal thing that is scanning the horizon for problems all the time, for something in the pattern that doesn't belong. It's a primal thing in us. We want, it's like the accident that we happened Something disgruntled the pattern, the flow of things, and we immediately look there. Our eyes go to, to what's happening that doesn't belong. It's not the way it should be. It doesn't seem right. So you've got to stop that. Stop that primal urge. I would say you could notice it and move on. Stop scouring people's faces for evidence that you're not enough. You will always find it because you've made that your goal. True belonging and self-worth are not goods. We don't negotiate their value with the world. The truth about who, you, who we are lives in our hearts. 
Our call to courage is to protect our wild heart against constant evaluation, especially our own. No one belongs here more than you. And it's that evaluation that causes us to say, how do you know? It would also say that that is the voice of fitting in, not belonging. When we question whether we are someplace, that is the fitting in voice. Do I fit? And we don't always fit in with every crowd if we're being our true self anyway. And that discomfort is worth noting. Right? You're uncomfortable and, and we inquire into our discomfort. Is it because I don't fit in or is it because I'm certain I don't belong? And if I don't belong here, do I feel like I belong anywhere? In any case, I was very intrigued by uh, the false self as Merton talked about it. So Thomas Merton is a semi-modern Dane mystic in my book. And he talks about, in, in, in a fairly long paragraph that I got from a man named Richard Rohr, anybody know who that is? He speaks the language of transformation as opposed to belonging systems, in any case. He talks about that every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self, this is the man or woman that I want myself to be, but who cannot exist. Because God does not know anything about him or her. And to be unknown by God is altogether too much privacy. So God creates a self in us, and then we go ahead and create a self. Just in case that one doesn't fit in. Right? <laughs> The thing that the magnificent divine organization in the universe that has done absolutely everything magnificently forever somehow could have got it wrong with us. So I think I'll grow an extra this or that. That could only be the ego. The ego loves to be the second creator. It is the second creator. Anyway... To be unknown by God is altogether too much privacy. Who wants to be hidden from that all-knowing everything that is abundance, resources, food? I don't want to be hidden by that. That's why the false self is so fragile. It is inherently insecure because it's almost entirely a creation of the mind, a social construct. It doesn't exist except in the world of perception which is where we live most of our lives, most of us. Instead of in God's eternal now, what Ernest Holmes calls reality, that place right in this moment, nothing is happening but us being with each other, being present, listening. None of the stuff that ever happened to us before this moment is happening right now. It can only happen if we call it up in our mind and relive it. But that's us making it happen. That's not it unfolding. Short of that moment, short of that recall, you're just here with me. And that's all that's happening right now. The eternal now, clear of any stories, 
fresh and available for any dream or creation you want to put forward. When you die, what dies is your false self because it never really existed to begin with. It simply lives in your thoughts and projections. It's what you want yourself to be and what you want others to think you are. It's very tied up with status symbols and reputation. Now here's, here's, here's its tell, that false self's tell, you know, like touching your ear when you're saying something. Whenever you're offended, it's usually because your self-image has not been worshipped or it has been momentarily exposed. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Those are some of the, the, the telling phrases. What are you talking about? She thinks she knows me and she doesn't. You know, that whole... The false self will quickly react with a vengeance to any offenses against it because all it has is its own fragile assumptions about itself. Don't waste too much time defending your ego. The true self is untouchable, or as Paul the Apostle uh, puts it in the Christian Corinthians 1, 13, 15, it takes no offense. And it always um, delights me a little bit when I find stuff from the Christian Bible that talks about ego so clearly. Um, and gives us guidelines there too. It takes no offense. People who can live from their true selves are genuinely happy. Emma Curtis Hopkins would say our true selves has never done anything. It's had the experiences, but it hasn't done anything. You can't do anything to your true self. It's just something you can be. So that would mean that your true self is not something that you can add to or take away from, as a matter of fact. Ernest Holmes and the Christian Bible say it is that to which nothing need be added and from which nothing can be taken. But let's go back to the false self for a second. I remember... Um, when Megan, our daughter, was four years old, and she's kind of bright and a little bit ahead of most, and I sound like every other mother, but she is bright and a little bit ahead of most. And at four years old, she was astute enough to notice that um, people were badgering her about her clothes. And I only found that out because she was agitated and I noticed that she had stripes on and she had them on with I think it was like polka dots or some mismatched thing in that way that your four-year-old wants to dress and you want to give her creative license but you're kind of cringing because you know like in the adult world you'd never walk out of the house with that on but she can because she's four however this this little design that she did with her clothing was um I, I liked it, like I got it. I got why she did that. But she was so agitated and she goes, I wanna take this off. I said, okay, bug, let's just take it off. What do you wanna wear? I wanna wear this. But why, okay, so what's, what's bothering you? They'll just make fun of me like they did yesterday. Why, bug? Like, 
what's up? I don't know. They just don't like the way I dress. I said, Buck, do you like the way that you dress? And she said, well, yeah, I do, but I want them to like the way that I dress. I said, do you want to put something on that they won't notice you in that you'll like, that they'll like? No, that's why I'm frustrated. So it was this loop, right? There, I felt like we were on the precipice of true self, false self, right? You can go expressing what feels so right to you, and it means that you might not get the reception that you want. And it has to be enough, and it is enough. When we think about it, when we think about the times that we've stood by our true self, our true opinion of something, it might be uncomfortable to have the abrasiveness or the, the, the thing coming at us, but there is an underlying okayness. Something's right, not something's wrong, right, when we stand by it. But we want to fit in. There is that need to feel tribed. And we've been miseducated by being told that if you do X, Y will happen. If you wear the right clothes and get the right grades, you will belong here. If you like the president or don't like the president, you will belong here. But that is not where you belong. And I guarantee you the true you doesn't belong in any faction that's gonna hate another faction that's going to distance or disconnect from another faction. So the false self can feel good, it can feel successful. There can be these momentary senses of the qualities of true selfness, that um, sense of belonging feels good. But when you go home and you're replaying, underneath, just underneath, and you said the thing that you can't even believe you said because it wasn't really you, all of a sudden that sense of fitting in and belonging doesn't work anymore because you don't even belong to yourself in that moment. You can't. You were speaking from not yourself. You were changing what you feel, your representation of what you feel, what you like, what you think, so when they like you back, what is it landing on? Can that even get in? Way back, and I guess most of you would remember this now that I look around. There's a couple young ones in here, so it's kind of fun to be at this age when like, I had to do something that they'll never ever have to do. Um, but back before the internet was really possible, um, or as big as it was, it did become a way for people to meet each other who, at the time that I met my wife online, I couldn't go looking for a wife in the way that other people might. Because if I approached the wrong person back when, it, it's a little better now, but back when I was out on the market, I, somebody could justifiably slap me in the face. Justifiably because society said so. Not justifiably because it was okay. But it was still culturally 
not cool to have a wife. It wasn't even legal to marry yet. So the internet was one of the best ways that you could actually meet somebody because you could put it all out there right away. You didn't have to kind of put your gaydar on and see who might be and who might not be. And I had done a couple of rounds of internet dating. And I ended up in some pretty squirrely places. But the internet dating that I did included a profile that, yeah, it's pretty much who I was. And we can all laugh now because there's fake Facebook everywhere. There wasn't then. You put up your best picture from 20 years ago, right? <laughs> and if you couldn't find one that was as thin as you thought people should see you as, you stretched it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember which one of those I was guilty of, but I was very guilty of keeping my passion for spirituality covered up. The main thing about me is my spirituality. The main thing I'm passionate about is transformation and growth and stuff. But people I learned don't like that as like a priority. It's, it's all of who I am, so I can't imagine walking in the world any other way, but apparently most of you can, or some of you. In any case, so I used to, oh, sorry, I used to keep that hidden. And um, yeah, I stretched a picture or two. Um, I've never widened a picture, never had to. <laughs> and I got what my false self could attract. What I got were other pretending people. And what we got was false selves bumping up against each other. And you don't need the internet to create that. All of us put on our best behaviors, our truest false selves, when we begin dating, right? And we keep any of those preferences and all that stuff under wraps. We save it till we've hooked each other till it's too late, till the furniture's in and it's going to be too expensive to part. And then the false self comes down. And then the resentments for having a false self in the first place aim at each other, right? So, so we can already see how just in relationships this is a mess. Well, I finally decided, it hit me all on my own, it hit me. What if I just said, Spirituality is my main priority. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. I imagined that I would get somebody who actually saw me. Because I put me out there. Like there was nothing wrong with it. And I got that. I got that back. Somebody who was totally cool with spiritual exploration. The ad that I answered, who I eventually married, and I'm still married to, what she said in hers was that I'm looking for someone, she was in politics at the time, and she said, I'm looking for someone who can go to a dinner party, uh, a dinner event for, of 300 and dress in a formal and then come home and put diapers on your head to amuse a three-year-old. And I thought, yeah. 
that's what I want. <laughs> because I'm more the kid, the person that's going to put the diaper on my head than the person that dresses up. But I adore a good party and a nice formal too. Right, I love that feeling. So I did end up meeting somebody that I eventually married and it took all, all of about three dates once I changed my profile to reflect exactly who I was. And it's been, um, you know, just more and more insights and it doesn't stop. It's not like you find this true self and suddenly you're walking around and everything's easy and rosy, and you belong everywhere. It's, it's exactly like a marriage. It's exactly like a relationship, this dance that we do with this connectedness to our true selves. Some days we know how to just be. Some days we agree that we are God's gift to the universe. Not in a way that means that everyone has to agree with that, but in a way that we get it so intrinsically that no one can resist us because we're being the gift in our own specific way. So our life's purpose is to be God expressing as me. I know I say this a lot, and I don't think that I could ever say it too much. Our only job, our main job, is to be as fully us as we came to be, and it's no small task. There are systems of fitting in, not belonging, everywhere that are inviting you to conform. So it does, it takes a level of braveness and it takes a level of faith. It takes a level of really trusting that it might be true that what I'm about to say could be absolutely true about you. That if you weren't here, the world would not be the same. It's not this world without you. Your presence, looking through those eyes from that body, is exactly what God meant by you and you belong there, right there in that seat. Only you belong there. And the conclusions that you draw from the world around you, the preferences that you have, when you're living in accordance with that, not only is it not painful on an internal level, doesn't mean you won't have some outer stress somewhere, not only is it not painful, but you're feeding the world at that moment. You're not in resistance to spirit moving through, in, and as you. And when you're surrendered to the truth of who you are, when you're, when you're not resisting your opinions about things, your feelings about things, when you're willing to act as you are in the moment, now that's usable material. That's a world that's working for everyone. If somebody has an incendiary response to something I've said, it looks like I made a mistake or I shouldn't have done that and maybe I should have been someone else in the moment. But when I hear a week later, you know, I got home and I stopped. I got exactly what you meant. I'm sorry for my outburst. We've all been in those situations. Suppressing anything, be where you are, 
That's, that's my like big message. You cannot screw this up. You don't have to like even worry about whether it's your true self or not. You'll find it because pain is guaranteed to drive you there. Pain is the evidence that you are clinging hard to a false self instead of being God as you. And consequently, when you're clinging to that false self like it's a life raft, nothing the divine does can actually get through. Because you are looking at something that doesn't even exist, a false self, to save you in a situation. When I do almost anything anymore, I'm always saying, may the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be what is intended as me. I have a couple of things that might help you kind of, am I headed towards my true self? Some indicators, kind of like turning indicators. I wonder what it would be like, who would you be in any situation you can ask yourself if I knew the whole world approved of what I was about to say? I want to say this. What would it be like if I knew the whole world would approve? What would I say in response to this? If I knew there were no bad consequences? You're willing to notice explore and value your feeling responses to life, to what's coming towards you. And not just explore them, be the being experiencing them and what they can lead you to. The feelings are the current of life and they also are a great indicator when they're hard feelings of beliefs that you may want to check out. They're like white flags. A belief is active here. How honest are your responses to what's happening right now? Are you able to hear how you really feel about what's happening right now? Are you feeling connected to yourself? In the, um, in the Art of Life, Ernest Holmes uh, broke down the Lord's Prayer, and I always love it when this prayer gets translated into religious science ease. He talks about the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's a line in the Lord's Prayer for those of you who don't know. What I was able to um, get from his translation is the kingdom of God is also the kingdom of God as me. The kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, my true self be revealed. Your will as me on the planet. He says the experience of this kingdom are the qualities of harmony, perfection, completion, wholeness, and peace. It is that to which nothing need be added and from which nothing can be taken. It's like the acorn analogy. That acorn has the whole oak tree the whole oak tree, the map of where the branches are going to come out, the leaves, all of that in that little tiny acorn. 
And there is not a single tree that's the same as another. And each tree is formed from the amount of light and soil and water that have nourished it. And the storms it's been exposed to that create knots in the tree, you know, where a tree breaks, it is the strongest point because the way it heals is by creating a knot. And if anyone's ever hit a knot in wood with an axe, you know that that is a strong spot. So all those things make each individual tree different. Each oakiness, you know, we want to get to our oakiness. No branch juts out the same way. Our true self is not something we become. It's something we uncover. It is God as you, a unique one-time event. You owe it to the world to be you. It is your only job. We need you. You be you. We can use the light. So the call to action this week is I'm just identif asking you to identify one thing that you have sacrificed and that you may still sacrifice in the name of fitting in. And when you have a second, if you're doing uh, prayer and meditation, just spend some time reflecting what would it be like to have, what would it have been like to be your true self in that past situation? If it was happening now, try to imagine in your body, how does it feel to have that strong spine, I belong here, soft front, I'm open to life, and that wild heart that doesn't know what's coming next, but knows that it'll end the day fed because it showed up. Thank you.